The following podcast may contain strong language and adult themes and is therefore entirely suitable for Danes of all ages. This is English for Danes. Daisies blooming Sundress swaying in the breeze I can't stop staring You've put a spell on me Hello. It's October 2004 and as one of the new teachers I find myself being sent out to various focus schooler in Greater Copenhagen for evening classes. I've got a pile of books to hand out and a room number. As I'm early, because I was told many times to be early, nobody else is there. The schools are dark and deserted. I wander around the schoolyards looking for any lights, trying numerous locked doors. Eventually, I'd meet someone. English class? Yes. Phew. Then we could both walk around trying locked doors. It was always a bit weird, but eventually we'd find the room and everyone would somehow turn up, typically middle-aged locals. Having insisted that they speak to each other in English, I'd hear that their small talk consists of enthusiastic exchanges about women's handball. What is this strange new world? I would confess that I knew nothing about handball, and they'd look at me, puzzled. The women's handball team had just won the Olympic gold, apparently, and the European Championships were about to start. I promised I'd watch it. I don't think I did. Norway beat Denmark in the final. As it happens, Denmark and Norway meet in the European final again this evening. So Denmark loves the sport we Brits don't have, or if we do, we're rubbish. Apparently Denmark invented the sport. I've seen a few games since, and the men's handball team, I have discovered, have been European or world champions four times since I've been in Denmark. I know Mikkel Hansen, he that couldn't possibly look more Viking, but that's it. Integration fail. There are other non-football Danish sports stars I know, and some I knew before arriving here. Karolin Wozniacki, Mikkel Kessler, the boxer, Thomas Björn, the golfer, Nicky Pedersen of Speedway, Michael Mays of table tennis. And I'm aware that Denmark has a great record in badminton and do well in water sports at the Olympics, sailing, swimming, kayaking, rowing. Until I googled famous Danish sports people the other day, I'd never heard of Tom Christensen, the nine-time winner of the Mons. Shame on me. Then there's cycling and the Tour de France. Until Jonas Vinkergaard won this year's tour, the only Danish cyclist I knew was Bjarne Ries. And until I checked the other day, I thought his nickname was The Chicken. Apparently it's the Eagle of Herning. So I've been rudely referring to him as The Chicken for years, and a factory farm chicken at that. That was my nod to Danish sport. A little short and somewhat superficial, but today I'm focusing on football. I think I'm right that football is Denmark's national sport, and that 1992 is the most important year in Danish history. European champions, legends, pulled from the beach to take the vacant spot when the war in Bosnia ruled out Serbia. Beat West Germany in the final, in Sweden. It's Denmark's 1966, the last time England's men won anything. 
but it was the World Cup. Since then, football's taken a very long time to come home. I love football. It's also a subject that is usually a dependable icebreaker. I remember being in an overnight bus in China and trying to maintain a smile as I was crowded around by men firing the names of English footballers at me. Beckham, good, yes? Yes, thumbs up, greeted by huge smiles. Owen, good, yes? Yes, thumbs up, and so it went on. When I said, nah, thumbs down, this was the most hilarious thing that anyone has ever said in China. But it wasn't actually an icebreaker. When they ran out of names, we didn't start discussing macroeconomics or Taiwan. And football wasn't an icebreaker when I first met Christine's father. You like football? Yes. Who do you support? Puzzled look. Denmark. Oh, yes, of course, Denmark are good. End of conversation. He left, probably to build or paint something. For me, it's club over country. Liverpool first, England somewhere else. Supporting Liverpool also helped my integration into Danish society, as there are so many Liverpool supporters here. I've also met quite a few middle-aged fans of teams like Coventry and West Brom, as I believe he used to have a Super Saturday on DR. I briefly tried to get into Danish football. Initially, I vaguely supported Brumbu, as they were my mate's team. Then I moved to Ustebro and thought I'd vaguely support the little local team, FC Co. Then I started teaching some players at FC Norseeland, so I sort of supported them. The manager at FC Norseeland at the time is the present, very popular Denmark coach, Kasper Hulman. Great name for a coach. Hulman. Wheelman. Let's say man at the wheel. I've seen a few league matches here and had the pleasure of watching Denmark stuff England 4-1. I also stood with the masses in Fellerparken for the wonderful 3-3 draw with Sweden when some drunk Dane ran onto the pitch and hit the referee for awarding Sweden a penalty. That was pretty entertaining. So the somewhat controversial World Cup kicks off in a few hours. Many supporters are boycotting it, and many teams are doing their bit to protest about FIFA's choice of Qatar. Denmark's protest consists of a toned-down shirt, and a song for the tone-deaf. I believe national teams should reflect their society, flamboyant Brazilians, predictably efficient Germans, etc. How could the Denmark team reflect Danish society? In a nod to equality, everyone could play midfield. In a nod to Jantelo, they could share around the captain's armband so no one could think they're any better than anyone else. If someone gets a yellow card, everyone should try to get a yellow card so no one feels left out or stands out. In a nod to education, they could include in the squad a disruptive character who steals all the manager's attention and brings the overall level down. In a nod to supermarkets, when the referee blows for a penalty kick to be taken, whoever gets the ball first takes the penalty. But maybe Danish society was reflected in how the players, coaches and fans dealt with Ericsson's devastating cardiac arrest against Finland. Simon Kier and others rushing to help and forming a protective, respectful screen around Ericsson as medics tried to bring him back. It was traumatic, emotional and heartwarming to watch and then hear the players and staff speak about it. And how brilliant were Finland's fans too. I'm as horrified as anyone else that Qatar is hosting this World Cup. Will I be watching? Yes. Apologies. <laughs>
and I've also worked out there's a good chance, or at least a chance, that England will meet Denmark in the quarter-finals. If we both win our groups and win our next games, we meet. If we both come second and win our next games, we meet. In 2002, we met in the last 16. England won 3-0. And we met soon after Ericsson's collapse in the last European Championships. And this is where I pass over to myself. Apart from a couple of worth remembering, and a last comment, the rest of this pod is what I wrote when England met Denmark in July 2020. It's July 7th, match day. I really don't know who to support. The text I wrote my brother last night read, Denmark as a whole absolutely buzzing. There's rarely any other news anyway. Guess if England bore me to death again, and I see Boris in the crowd, I'll support Denmark. Not really fussed who wins. Though I can live without a wave of texts if Denmark do win. Tricky one. I live in Denmark, just down the road from Parken. Danish flags hang from the windows. Danish shirts are omnipresent. They're everywhere. There's a buzz in the streets, as there has been ever since the horrific events of the first match made the Danes love their team even more than before. Everyone loves his Danish team. What a story it would be. They also play an attractive style and have a manager who celebrates with sheer joy and would probably be a good bloke to have a pint with. I like Gareth, the England manager. He speaks well and he seems a thoroughly decent man, but he doesn't make me think he'd be a fun dinner guest and his style of football drains me of all joy. Yes, we scored four against Ukraine, but they were rubbish and even that was dull. A professional job, they've said after every game. Yes, and mind-numbingly dull. Manager, Denmark wins. Playing style, Denmark wins. Story of the tournament, Denmark wins. Fans, tricky. Denmark supporters are colourful, enthusiastic and seemingly pleasant. I plan to watch in the pub tonight. If I've decided to root for England and they score, I'll let out a yes and immediately look apologetic. I imagine the Danes would be understanding and we'd share a few light-hearted comments. I would recommend a Dane keeps quiet if he's watching in an English pub. A friend came down to picturesque Shrewsbury from not-so-picturesque Manchester for an England game against Germany. England won 4-1 away, but there were fights breaking out all over the pub, and there weren't even any Germans there. It's not usually like that. The English go bonkers on the rare occasions the football team does well. The buzz is way beyond what we're presently getting here. The passion is through the roof. Throw in mass binge drinking on match day and chaos ensues. While travelling Danish fans warm the hearts of locals, much like the Dutch or the Scots, the English do their finest Viking impression, invade, terrorise the locals, drink till unconscious and leave destruction. Recently they've been booing taking a knee even when a black lad has scored three goals. There's a Tory MP boycotting the game because the players are taking a knee. Says a lot. Fans? Denmark wins, but I still have a soft spot for crazed passion when not coupled with crazed violence. If I'm still undecided at kickoff, that'll soon change if the camera zooms in on Boris. Maybe a Denmark kitted out meta will be next to him, wondering why he constantly talks to a groin. I want a good game, but I imagine it'll be incredibly dull. Maybe I'd like England to go 3-0 up and strut off the pitch at half-time to raucous renditions of footballs coming home. Then Denmark launch a majestic fight back and we can watch the sheer terror of the Wembley crowd. 
3-2 with seconds to play, and then a wonderfully comic own goal of Brexit proportions that takes the game to extra time. A few near misses in the next 30 minutes, then the horror of penalties. Lovely. I may have been influenced by Liverpool's Istanbul miracle when writing this bit. In that case, Denmark win. Is that what I want? Oh dear. Saturday the 10th. I guess I should have written the post-match analysis the day after, but two things got in the way. I wasn't sure how I felt, and we've just taken over the next-door apartment, so I've been spartling and facing endless questions about colours, etc., while reigning in Christine's crazed ambitions. Reigning in in the sense that I sigh and say, really? Knowing full well I'll give in. So the match. I ignored an invitation to watch the friend's house with a bunch of English fans because A. I wasn't sure I wanted them to win and B. I wanted the atmosphere of a Danish bar. I convinced Christine to join me seeing as her interest in football had grown from absolute zero for all our time together to something approaching mild enthusiasm. Having gone to the same bar for the England-Ukraine game, I knew it would be packed and suffocatingly hot. In the last round, the Denmark-Czech game preceded the England game, and although hardly anyone remained, and they soon left after witnessing England's anti-football, the bar was sauna-like from Denmark's victory. Turning up 90 minutes before, it was standing room only. Most were wearing Denmark shirts and had painted faces. Some were caped in flags and to my joy, there were a few ridiculous clappy hats. Really? The bloke in front of us also brought along a hooter. Oh dear. A rousing national anthem, a focusing in on Boris looking smug, a pretty even 30 minutes. Then Damsgore scored a wonder goal. Mayhem! It was a quite beautifully free kick for an eight-year-old. I smiled warmly and clapped, enjoying the delirium around me. Christine was ecstatic a face of disbelieving innocence. Seven minutes of joyous, is this really happening? Then England scored. And that was funny. Complete and utter silence. No nay, no F word, nothing. Christine looked puzzled. What happened? We scored. She then confessed that she couldn't actually see the ball, just people running about. If I'd been watching Liverpool, I would have yelled. But England... In this championship, nothing came out, and the deathly silence suggested I was the only Englishman in the pub. Or there was another Englishman, who also couldn't muster much enthusiasm. And then it just got more and more tense, and less and less likely that Denmark would win. They were knackered, very, very tired. But they had popped over to Azerbaijan a few days before, thanks to some inane UEFA promotional campaign. England had been to Rome, and were now home. A bit unfair. But during the second half, I realised that I did want England to win. No rationale. Just instinctively wanted it. Kasper Schmeichel was heroic in goal, and the pub crowd clearly loved him. They, especially the women at the front, repeatedly chanted something which I asked Christine to translate. Fanny, pussy, Kasper is a wall. And I think that's a polite translation. The game went to extra time. Penalty to England! But it shouldn't have been. It was an embarrassing falling over by Sterling, after quite a few embarrassing dives by both Kane and Sterling. Sigh. Another rendition of the poetic, Vanny, pussy, Casper is a wall. Then he saved it. Mayhem, delirium. 
still delirium 20 seconds after Kane had put in the rebound. Did they think the same rules applied as in a penalty shootout? Christine had left at full time, so no need to explain the rules. That was left to quite a few others. From then on, it was match over. England wound down the clock, and the Danish team's energy mirrored the optimism in the bar. A balloon slowly deflating, even if Mr Hooter did his best to raise spirits. It was another professional job. I got my experience, and Christine got the Danish goal I hoped for. The bar emptied outside, and I sat replying to the pile of texts from Danes and Brits. A distraught young Dane sat next to me, crying loudly, shouting through tears, Fuck England! Fuck Boris Johnson! You hear them! I hate them. Fair enough. I agree about Boris. Some had heads bowed, but most just looked resigned. My UK family were in WhatsApp happy land. I put a dampener on it by moaning about the diving. Mr Grumpy, came the reply. I wandered home, wondering how long people would leave their Danish flags draped from windows. I hope folks leave them there for a few days. It was a monumental effort by Denmark and an extraordinary journey from Ericsson's collapse to extra time in the semi-final. Denmark has clearly won a lot of friends and admirers in the last few weeks. England has probably won some admirers. So now, it's coming home, we'll go into overdrive, if it wasn't already. Sorry, I do like the song, and please note that it's not a triumphant song, but a song about England's failures to repeat 1966. There'll be news clips of the English celebrating, a whole nation in euphoria. It's been a while. I come from a country so divided by divisive politicians and Brexit that I can't help but enjoy the unifying phenomenon of football. I know I'll be bugged by Boris and some fans banging on about being out of the EU and England being better for it, as if Brexit had anything to do with football, but I hope they beat Italy. At least they can't outdive the Italians. Shoot forward a week, the final. English fans disgraced themselves again, and we lost. I wasn't exactly heartbroken. So, Danish person, how are you feeling about this World Cup? I'm both exciting, interesting and annoying. No, you're not. On two counts. Firstly, both can only refer to two things in English. Both my kids will be supporting both England and Denmark. Both my kids indicates I have two kids, no more, no less. I'll be supporting three teams, England, Denmark and Wales, and I hope all three do well. I can't use both here. Oh, okay says Danish person. So I'm both exciting and annoying, yes? You get in there. Now we have a problem with you being exciting and annoying. Maybe you are exciting and annoying, but that's for others to judge. We have a number of adjectives describing words that only differ in their endings. ED or ing. Excited, exciting. Bored, boring. Surprise, surprising. Worried, worrying etc. The thing you are looking at or experiencing is interesting, or annoying, or worrying, or tiring, or depressing. It was an exciting game, mostly, but a depressing result for Danes. There was an interesting Casper chant, but Mr Hooter was quite tiring. To describe how you or someone feels as a response to what you're looking at or experiencing, use the ED ending. I was interested. I was annoyed. 
I was worried. I was tired. I was depressed. You're probably bored by this boring explanation. So I would correct you if you said, I'm interesting and exciting. Well, I would if you weren't Lord Bentner, surely the embodiment of post-Yentelow Denmark. He probably thinks he is interesting and exciting. I remember him once being given 10 out of 9 for self-confidence in a psychological test. I think Bentner was underrated, but he was neither messy nor modest. One thing to note, not all ED adjectives have an ing cousin. Far from it. Two typical mistakes. Wow, that's impressing. Crikey, that was stressing. You can be impressed by something impressive. My, that's an impressive lamp. And you can be stressed by something stressful. Christ, this match is so stressful. On Saturday, yesterday, Infantino, the FIFA president, tried to deflect criticism of Qatar hosting the World Cup by saying, I feel gay, disabled, like a woman too. Hopefully he found this quite cathartic. Denmark played their first game on Tuesday. I look forward to hearing the chant for this World Cup. Cock, dick, Christian is alive, perhaps. Come, Denmark. Nay!